This is Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Good morning. Hello, it's morning in Utah. Hello and welcome to Dialogue Sunday um, Gospel Study, Sunday Gospel Study. Today is July 11th, 2021. We have Kimberly Applewaite Teeter with us today. She will be drawing from section 76 to 80 of the Doctrine and Covenants. I'm Chris Kimball. I'm conducting today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board. Other board members, Michael Austin and Rebecca Deschweinitz, are also part of our group today. We're using, as usual, our webinar format on Zoom and running a live stream on Facebook and recording this program. There is a chat function if you're on Zoom by which you can comment and uh, ask questions. We will follow the comments. Also, we'll try to follow the comments on Facebook and introduce questions from Facebook when appropriate. In the first issue of, let's see, here's our ad. Here's our dialogue ad. In the first issue of journal of the journal, founder Eugene England wrote, my faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. To fulfill Gene's vision, in the 21st century, we made the current journal, all 54 years of archived, archived issues, and all of our new digital offerings, including this series, our podcasts, and other features, entirely free for online users. This meant moving away from a subscription model, and we have spent the past few years figuring out how a digital model can work. We set a budget and made a plan, and we are now raising money asking your help in creating a fund that secures the future of dialogue. Um, which fund is more than half funded, which is a good uh, positive upbeat, it's going to work. You can find more about sustaining dialogue at givedialogue.com. We also have an email address dedicated to this campaign and that address is sustainingdialogue at dialoguejournal.com. For our lesson today, now I'd like to introduce our uh, teacher, speaker. Um, Kimberly Applewhite Teeter is with us. She is a doctor of psychology and a licensed clinical psychologist practicing in the Salt Lake area. She's a graduate of New York University and Furkow Graduate School of Psychology at Yeshiva University and former postdoctoral fellow at Boston Children's Hospital, Harvard Medical School, and the University of Utah Neuropsychiatric Institute. She's a program coordinator of the Dialectical Behavior Therapy Team at the Utah Center for Evidence-Based Treatment, also in Salt Lake City, working primarily with patients who are chronically suicidal, engage in self-injurious behavior, or have experienced profound trauma. She's also a founding member of the Black Clinicians, a medical and mental health collective and diversity inclusion consulting firm. Kimberly is a published author and speaker on issues of racial trauma, LGBTQ plus populations and intersectionality of faith identity. Most recently, she appeared in the book, Why I Stay, Volume 2, The Challenges of Discipleship for Contemporary Latter-day Saints, edited by Bob Reese. She has appeared in Mormon Land, A Thoughtful Faith, and Faith Matters podcasts, among others. Kimberly has been a member of the Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir for the past five years. We will be hearing more about the choir today. Um, serving as assistant director for the past three years. In her ward, she supports her husband in his calling as bishop, as well as serving as ward historian and gardening specialist. She's a proud mother of two daughters who bring much joy, laughter, and singing. 
We're pleased to have Kimberly with us today. As with every speaker and teacher, I remind you that we invite speakers for their personal insights, for their own voice. Kimberly speaks for herself, not for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and not for the Dialogue Foundation, even though we are really welcoming and appreciative of Kimberly being here with us. Um, today, we're going to hear first from Kylie Palapoy, uh, who will be singing live via Zoom. Kylie sings with the Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir. I'd like to say a little bit about the choir before, uh, before Kylie comes on, because we're going to hear more from the choir and about the choir today. Uh, because the closing song will also be together by the Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir. Uh, that song at closing is a new cover video for the choir featuring Hosh Bonner and Chad Truman from the Nashville Tribute Band, the Truman Brothers. Also with Kylie Palapoy, we'll hear from her twice today. Uh, the choir, that choir, the Deborah Bonner Gospel Choir is an LDS led interfaith group of all nationalities, group, faith, races and political affiliations who love each other and serve together. The choir began as the Genesis Group Gospel Choir until 2016 when the choir was released from its church identity to further its ability to spread the gospel throughout the world. The mission of the choir is to bring hope, healing and love to all of God's children through gospel music. It's led by Deborah Bonner, a classically trained singer and protege of the top vocal pedagogues of the 20 and 21st century. So we'll hear um, from Kylie, Palapoy, and then the opening prayer will be given by, I hope, um, Tekuve Jackson Vaughn. Uh, Tekuve was our teacher for a dialogue gospel study session in October, 2020, and, um, and we introduced him then. We're delighted to have him with us again today, and I hope he's here. Um, Tekuve served a full-time mission to the Michigan Lansing Mission, is a graduate of BYU in marriage, family, and human development, has a master's of science in marriage and family therapy, and is a licensed marriage and family therapist and counselor. Um, is, and he's here. Great. Um, there, our program is ready. Uh, Kylie, you're on. We, okay, I'm good to just start? Yes. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how brave 
grace appear the hour I first believed through many dangerous toils and snares I have already Thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me, His word, my As long as life endures, when we we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no sing God's praise than when we first become thank you our beloved father in heaven with gratitude in our hearts, we come before thee now to thank thee for this opportunity to gather and to be taught of thee. Father, we are especially grateful for thy great plan of salvation and for the hope that it gives us of our return to thy presence. Father, we are grateful for the music that we have just heard and for the talents that thou has bestowed upon Sister Palipoy and her willingness to use those talents to invite the spirit into this lesson. Father, we are grateful for Sister Teeter and her preparation to teach us this morning and pray that thou would Bless her with a portion of thy spirit that she might be able to accomplish the task that thou hast given us and that thou hast given her. Father, we're grateful for our prophet, President Nelson, and those who serve with him. And pray, Father, that thou would inspire them in their stewardships that they might be instruments in thy hands to bring about thy righteous purposes. 
Father, we pray that thou would bless us especially this month as we remember our pioneer forebears, that we might be inspired by their faith, that we might um, honor those whose names we know well and whose legacies are enshrined in monuments and statues, but we might also remember those who lay silently in unmarked graves along the way from Nauvoo to the Salt Lake Valley. And those whose names are only known in family records of remembrance. Father, will thou bless those who are currently laboring to give them a name and a face and a story that we might also learn from their examples of silent faith. Father, we pray that thou would bless us as a church that we might truly be a place where all feel welcome, that we might have communion with thee. Father, we love thee so very much and we again invite thy spirit into this meeting and we give thanks, Father, for the sacrifice of thy son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Kimberly, you're muted, but once you're unmuted, the floor is yours. I'm muted because I'm like, I didn't know it was my turn. <laughs> um, great. I First of all, I want to say uh, thanks to uh, Dialogue for inviting me here today. This is super um, exciting for me, and I often feel uh, overwhelmed and grateful because I know um, on whose shoulders I've stood, uh, people that have been invited and contributed to dialogue over the years, and so uh, super grateful to be here today. I also just want to thank uh, the people who are here with me today. Um, they are just total anchors to me. I know Tacove loves anchor or Tacove loves anchors. And um, that's really, as I was reflecting this morning, how I would describe Kaylee Tacove and Melody um, as just being people uh, that have offered quiet strength and comfort to me and also know when to like light me up in the corner, <laughs> like step me to action. And so I'm just always uh, grateful for for any time that I can uh, commune with them and spend more time. I'm so grateful that they have, have done that for me today. Um, so yeah, I am gonna uh, rebel a little bit. So I've covered 71 through 76, that's my fault. Um, but I, I wanted to start with, and I guess people have access to the chat or whatever, and people are, are uh, monitoring the chat um, but I'd love to have as much participation as people are willing to do. Um, and so, uh, like Chris mentioned, I'm a psychologist and whenever I start with a patient, I typically go over, uh, of what their values are. So I'll do what's called a values assessment. And it's not like a religious thing or a, I don't know, a holier than thou thing. What a values assessment is, is really just seeing what is important 
to the client. So we start with the list of words, um, kind of ideas, and we'll have them go through and pick which ones are very important to them until they get to a top five or a top one. And we do this for a few reasons. For one, it helps me to be able to set goals for the client that are um, going to be relevant to them and workable for them. Um, it also helps us to identify barriers that get in the way. And especially like sometimes uh, people's uh like when they're going about their daily life, they start living values that are like somebody else's or like don't totally fit uh, with what they want to do. And these will be the things that kind of cause uh, trouble. And so like knowing what somebody's values are is a good way for us to say like, how far apart are you from like where you want to be? And then it also helps us understand continually as we move along um, when somebody is being values consistent and also when they're not being values consistent. Uh, Stephen R. Covey of, you know, basic Mormon fame often talked about values in his stuff for the, you know, habits of highly effective people. And he says that uh, having a values orientation is kind of like when a plane takes off from one place and it ends up in another place. And, you know, sometimes like, you don't really know what happens in between like the course that's set for a plane. Like there might be turbulence or there might be some reason that uh, the plane gets off of like the path that they're supposed to be on. Or like, you know, they land in JFK and have to circle like for 25 minutes because there's too many planes. But the point is 95% of the time a plane or it takes off from where it's supposed to take off, hopefully, and lands where it's supposed to land. And so a value functions the same way where hopefully, regardless of what path it takes, if you orient to values, you'll land where you want to land. And so I, I want to start by doing this today because it kept coming to mind when I was thinking about kind of how I, I do gospel study at this point in my life. And like when I'm going through the come follow me, what kind of things stand out to me versus which ones don't um, or don't resonate as well. So anyways, join me on this. I'm going to uh, share my screen. I am not going to share my screen because the uh, the sharing is disabled. While they're enabling that, I just also wanted to share a quote uh at the, I don't often open the come follow me from the church website, uh, maybe because I'm rebelling about not putting LDS.org in the subject line. But anyways, I pulled it up from the website today and saw the first page of the come follow me. And I just love this quote where it says the aim of all gospel learning and teaching is to deepen our conversion to Jesus Christ and help us become more like him. For this reason, when we study the gospel, we're not just looking for new information. We want to become a new creature. This means relying on Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ to help us change our hearts, our views, our actions, and our very natures. And so uh, I thought that that was a lovely spirit to start out on. And I'm on screen now. You're okay. good. And I'm prepared to share sound, even though I don't think I am right now. I know that everybody must be over like this face that you do. Sure. Uh, when you're like sharing stuff in the hold on. I have like lost my mind. I'm gonna stop share and do it again. I have lost my marbles. Okay. Oh, I know what happened is because I was saying share 
and then I pressed share here and then my Google Drive said I anyways. Um, so what I want you to do when this list comes up, I want you guys to, or you people to think about what the church's values are. So when I pull this list up, you're going to say, okay, what are the church's top five values, the things that orient them? Um, it's testing my faith here. This is why the man asked to download all my stuff before I got on. And I realized that now, but it's cool. I'm on uh, mommy time. Um, It has been said that one of the therapist's uh, main jobs is to tolerate silence. And I am like really bad at that. But anyway, we continue. <laughs> um, what I'm going to do is like, oh, there we go. Um, so look over this list and say, what do you think? the church's top five values are. And I'm gonna give you from the time I see it, uh, two minutes to do this. It still says loading on my end. Okay, sorry for my janky writing. Okay, two minutes, I'm timing. And then when you have these top five, you can like put them in the chat or whatever you wanna do. Mm. Can y'all see it yet? Uh, would you like some words from the chat? They're starting. Oh, up. not yet. I'll wait till my timer goes. Ah. I got to get mine. I didn't do this because I'm, I was trying to have it be fresh. Okay, we have 30 seconds, but I'll take some ideas from the chat. What do people say? I, do you want me to just read here? Sure. I, okay, um, starting from the top, personal revelation, service, covenant path, connection, 
obedience, spirituality, love, kindness, honesty, forgiveness, industry, conformity, contribution, compassion, kindness, compassion, again, conformity, humility, spirituality, generosity, uh, progress encourages us to progress, independence, love, humility, confirmation. I feel like this is a solid list. So I'm like looking over. I also had order, like, and conformity, I think, is an interesting way to like describe <laughs> what the church does. But like, as I'm hearing it, it fits. Uh, power, humility, lots of love, compassion, connection, those kind of ideas. It's interesting that uh, only Valerie, it appears, has said uh, spirituality, which is interesting because I wrote it and then I crossed it out because I, I don't know. I don't know what I mean by that. Do y'all know what I mean by that? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, was like values of the church is, or what people saying make, sense to people um yeah as i look at this list and and also see what folks have to say um you know some of the words don't quite fit at least how i think about them so i want to pull in a couple of others um but then if you uh you know so like obedience but maybe order gets to that or conformity or you know, something like that. And um, Chris had written uh, Covenant Path because that's something that we're hearing a lot these days. Mm-hmm. But um, but how do you transpose it into perhaps one of these values that's here? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And a lot of times when we're doing it with clients, we'll allow them to like insert their own. But yeah, there are like these weird thematic overlaps that happen when you're trying to like capture the thing. I Is like- Go ahead, Chris. This comment that uh, at least makes me think what we're talking about. Acceptance um, comes up a lot and you have it on the chart, but acceptance is that being accepted by the world or or being accepted by what? The church or by our neighbors or what? what what's acceptance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's another uh interesting point because it's like acceptance with conditions or like acceptance by certain people but only at certain times uh one of the value lists that i have pulled up had um like customer uh like like tailoring to the customer experience and i almost left it out but then i was like so in some ways this fits because or like maybe with the conformity thing like how sometimes we have these ideas that are like confirmed by popular opinion or like what the majority happens to be saying at the time which sometimes will leave out uh, people who have different experiences in the church or people at the margins of experience and so yeah thanks for um contributing is there another thought go ahead just that the, the church, and this might take us back to the Doctrine and Covenants, but I, but the, there's a long history of sort of going back and forth between being um, strange or an outlier or unusual and being trying to fit in to the current uh, culture. Um, 
especially in the especially in the West, especially in the United States, and mm-hmm. that's uh, that that's. Uh, so is that, I mean, is that conformity, that's acceptance, that's conformity, but with a, with an, with a history that changes the meaning over time? Yeah. And in the work that I do, we would call that maybe a dialectic where there's two opposing things that kind of coexist together, where there is this like thing about being peculiar and unique and standing up but then also like being chill and being with the flow and like being among the people and I think a lot of that tension came out in this lesson especially looking at the weeks that I was looking at so we had like the first set is like the 71 sections and all of that that we're talking about like what do you do when somebody like criticizes the church and then you have 76 which is like this universalist oh everybody is like apart (laughs) and so then how do you uh start to balance those things is really interesting Kimberly I think too that um you know looking at this list and I'm and I'm seeing these values and I see the possibility for those being you know a part of the church and I'm drawn to certain values myself uh and and I am sometimes disappointed that those values don't seem to um, be at the top, but I see the possibility for them to, to be there. Uh, and I'm also considering that different times in my life, I would choose, I would recognize different values. Um, and that has to do with what my values are and also what my uh, current experience in the church is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think that's some of the work we'll get in with patients too, where we talk about like values aren't inflexible, like many of them are enduring, but they're not, it's not that they can't be changed. And also, yeah, it does kind of depend on like situations and context. And then there was another thing that you said that I like, what was the first thing you said? Ah, I don't remember. Much brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder talking about um, aspirational, like, yeah, yeah. The kind of aspirational and, yeah. um, yeah. And I wonder, then, I'd, I'd love to hear what Melody and, you know, maybe others have to say too. Yeah. I, yeah. Melody and Takove, if you're, if you, if you click on, we'd love your contribution here, participation. While that's happening, I will, I'll, I have a reaction here as I look at all this list that there is a, there's a list of qualities, spirituality, love, kindness, that I get out of kind of New Testament Christianity. And there's another set that have conformity, obedience, um, industry, contribution, that feel like values of a, of a church as an institution, of a, of a a group of people trying to make things happen. Um, and I don't know if those are in conflict. I don't know if that gets you to a dialectic as well, but it's, um, it sort of stands out to me as I look at this list that there are kind of two worlds being talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that gets at what Rebecca was saying too. The other part that I, I uh, resonated with, and why did I just lose it again? <laughs> but this idea... <laughs> 
<laughs> that like, oh man, I totally just lost it. But anyways, the value stuff is interesting. Oh, because we all have values too. And our values intersect with what we find appealing about the gospel or about the church. And like, if the church has different organizational values than like the gospel has, or then Christ has, then what kind of happens? And is that okay for an organization to have different values? I think it is, but then it's just interesting to watch those kind of intersect and intertwine. And, and I like what you said about how, like, we have this idea that we're, we're the same church that Christ had on the earth, but then there's also like unique, um, like persecutory narratives that like weave through modern day church history that then cause different values to have different priorities at different times that come from that experience. Um, and so watching those emerge and like the need for order and conformity and, and like prioritizing that, um, it's just super interesting to watch. This is kind of what keeps me like engaged in the church, like to be able to recognize that these things kind of like dance and conflict and like stuff on each other's toes sometimes is like sometimes a, a comfort to me when I see kind of wackadoodle stuff happen. Um, and so uh, I just wanted to leave that uh, because the thing that stood out most to me about this week's stuff in, in 76, one of the um, headings of the lesson was um, God wants to save all of the works of his hands. And that just stood out so much to me because it incorporates a lot of like um, the desire like for compassion and, and unity and connection while also bringing up like kind of this undercurrent of order and like there being kind of laws of the certain things and valuing people's agency to choose what ends up happening to them all in this one phrase of God wants to save all the works of his hands. Um, then you have this stuff from the week before that's talking about the critics. So anyway, I just let us discuss some things uh, that uh, I noticed um, where I think we can recognize kind of these value uh, differences or, or ebbing and flowing of value priorities as we look at these two weeks I was looking at, so 71 through 76. And so I think that there's some ways like in the text and, and the history of what was happening with the, um, the, the early church leaders where we can see where they were kind of being values consistent or where they might have fallen short. There's places where the lesson, like in the modern day organization of it was values consistent or might've fallen short. And then there's ways that I think that we, when we're thinking about how to apply this to our lives, are values consistent either with the church or with what Christ is doing and ways that we fall short as well. Um, so uh, I wanted to, <laughs> um, there so this morning oh I just gave myself away so at a certain time when I was preparing for this lesson uh I know I was aware of uh the existence of this video in the the 71 through 75 sections that was talking about like how we respond to um church critics and that when I went to look for it the video had disappeared enough of you all made us stink about it that I had to work really hard to do some petty Googling to find this video again, but fine. Uh, in in uh, section 71, we're dealing with the fallout of uh, Ezra Booth and 
and whatever his name was that wasn't ever spelled right or whatever, these guys were out here talking smack about the church, it said in the come follow me. And so then Joseph and Sydney rigged in on this like takedown campaign of like spreading the gospel. So the Lord tells them and 71, like, just go um and and talk to him. And I like um that in ching 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 in the section the Lord says uh go and like talk to him and you could talk to him in public or you could talk to him in private but the way that we're going to go about this is we're going to proclaim the gospel we're going to expand the mysteries of the kingdom and this is what is going to give us power in this situation and so the lord comes in and says there's no weapon that will form against you shall prosper even if people bring their strongest reasons against the lord it's whatever yeah you, like it'll be all right um and so we have the view of who we're calling the good guys in this Joseph Smith, Cindy Rigdon out here doing the good work of the Lord. One of the things that I was thinking about is uh, how the come follow me and like church lessons du jour, just like throw shade on anybody that's got anything to say. So they're like, Ezra Booth, he was just not faithful. Look at this other guy he was hanging around with, Isaac Morley. He was cool. The same things happened to him and he was fine. He gave up his farm. He got everything in the end is cool. So I was reading more about Ezra Booth at some appointed time that I was preparing for this. And Ezra Booth had, he had, so now from my understanding, what Ezra Booth was about was, hey, why is this dude Joseph getting these revelations, but then not telling nobody what the revelations say? He's not showing them to us. And when he tells us, he's not letting us share with other people or see him writing what's going on. And then they're conveniently saying things like, oh, Joseph gets to ride in like a cart or whatever. And I got to walk to Missouri or wherever it is. So you know, if I were Ezra, I feel like I would also have some feelings about this. I don't enjoy walking that long. This makes sense to me. Then he gets down there and he says, look, Joseph said this church was booming down here. And we get down here, there's only like seven to 10 people showing up to church. Now, what kind of mess is this? So Ezra, he's just down there and he, you know, he's passing the tea. Like, it's clear there's some petty involved, but he's also making some observations like, what is up with this? And how does this become like a prophet of the Lord to be doing this stuff? And Ezra had his own values orientation for why he would uh, join the church in the first place. He had been a Methodist. You already know Joseph loved the Methodists. He was going to join up with them. They probably had some common bonds in talking about the gospel. And Ezra saw miracles and he's like, well, this is cool. This is something I want to sign in on. But we don't have, when we're talking about like church history or when we're teaching the lesson, we're not looking at the human side of what Ezra Booth was doing. Instead, we're like, oh my gosh, we pull up and he's just writing letters. And now we've got this like need to fight. Uh, I'm gonna tell y'all a story and I don't know if I'm gonna get in trouble with the audience because I know y'all have many friends on many sides of this uh, Mormon spectrum thing. So I was watching Murder Among the Mormons with my parents. And I, you know, my parents joined the church in the 90s. That particular part of church history is like not super familiar to me. Um, and so Murder Among the Mormons was fascinating stuff to me. Very sad, but also very 
fascinating. And with all these Netflix, like Mormon specials, you could kind of see how the Mormon value system of like earnestness and whatever, whatever permeate through and kind of cause things to happen. Anyways, when Brent Metcalf got up there, my parents were like, I don't know about him. I feel like he was hiding something. I feel like there's something he's not saying. I think that he was in on it. He said, like, Mark Hoffman shows X, Y, Z to him. I feel like he's not trustworthy. And so I was like, okay, I did not pick up that vibe the first time that I binge watched it. Then as I started to uh, look things up, I learned the story of Brent Metcalf and you know how he, you know, he was doing his thing in the history and the church was like, nah, don't do that. That's communicated, blah, 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 blah. So then I started thinking about what is it that my parents saw that in their minds said untrustworthy, but what they really might've been picking up on was that unlike most of the people that were interviewed in this murder among the Mormons thing, he was not coming from a place of like a faithful perspective or the perspective that was trying to give the church the benefit of the doubt. He obviously has his own experiences and his own history with that. But something about the way that my parents interpreted this was that ugh, he can't be trusted. He was hiding something. He was doing something dirty, which, you know, is very much like my... <laughs> you know, it's what people do is what we all do. And so I guess what I want thoughts on is thinking about how Ezra Booth was portrayed, thinking about what we say about detractors and like what we need to do to like defend ourselves against them. How is it that we like, what is it that we add to the story where we detract from the detractors say, what are the things that we tend to do that makes these people seem, I don't know, less worthy of respect and consideration that we have what makes it an us versus them type thing thoughts is the question clear because like to me thinking about this overall thing that uh appealed to me about how god wants to save all the works of his hands looking at this it doesn't fit like why are we talking junk about ezra booth god wants to save him too he cool he wants to say the writer, man, we don't know how to spell his name. So why are we doing this? What, what leads us to do this stuff? Okay, go. I'm going to be quiet. Well, well um, while there's time for people to type in, here we go. But I think uh, because it's what comes to mind. First of all, like you're saying about Booth, um, there, there really is something. I mean, they really, people do have different values and they are opposed. I mean, when they... When they picked out things they didn't like about Joseph Smith, there really were things happening that were not likable. So that I mean, there, it's not like they're like everything's wonderful, and someone comes in as a critic or an opposition, and they don't have anything legitimate to say. There really is something to be opposed, and so it's not all made up, if you will. Um, the other thought, and I guess, and Rebecca. Yeah, we've got a couple of comments. Um, uh, Somebody saying it's the narrative of what we're told and how we're told to look at things. Uh, we sometimes tell stories out of context to serve a particular uh, narrative. Um, 
And uh, it seems like the same dynamic as the reaction to say that it's not nice to bring up uncomfortable topics like racism, misogyny, uh, and so on. So anyone who would do so is the one who is wrong rather than being seen as someone trying to help or to raise legitimate questions uh, or to figure out. um, And it's part of a journey of faith rather than uh, a distraction from, from that pursuit. Yeah, I think all of these are really valuable thoughts. Uh, My dissertation was on the experiences of queer people in the church, basically people that were still like calling themselves active at the time. And um, as I was, and it was a qualitative thing. And so like, we're looking at their stories, but also trying to figure out like what might be explaining what's happening. And what was coming out was some weird, like in-group preservation strategies on the parts of church leaders talking to gay members to like try to keep them in because there's such a strong sense of like out-group degradation that like, as we know, people will do all kinds of things to like keep this population part of the in-group say, oh no, it's cool. Just don't date anybody. Or like, ah, it's cool. Just do, you know, all, all the things that we are, are asking of the gay population if they want to be active in the church. Um, and I guess it's cool to want to preserve an in-group and be cool to people. But sometimes I'm just like, why can't we do that by seeing who they are and what they have to bring? And then, uh, like working with them from there. So the, my main issue with the, uh, the video not heard around the world since it was taken out of the lesson is that it failed to do that. Even when, I don't know if people saw this uh, video, but even when the girl, so I'm just going to sum it and like trigger warning because it was so stupid and unkind to, uh, the queer population in the church. So it starts out with this like caricature of a woman that was uh, upset that the church would tell people how to live and who they could love. And then the girl, the, the member of the church, the nice, sweet, blonde, pretty girl, as they always are, said, oh my gosh, why are you so hateful? <laughs> like, I can do what I want. I'm not saying anything. And it was just so uncomfortable, not just because of this caricature of a person they had on the opposing side, but because this, what this good Mormon girl was clearly making a fool out of herself, trying to battle back and forth about nothing. And at no point in time, her bishop told her, did she ask her classmate what her views were? So she was just totally ready to come in on the, attack about nothing. So then it has this effect of talking past each other. And so even then when she got the the come down and she spent her life in prayer montage and she went back and talked to this girl, she still mostly made it about this, you know, fairness for all mess that the church is about these days. Uh, And so in so doing, still did not really include the perspectives of the person that she was talking about. Uh, In the work that I do, we talk about levels of validation and validation is a popular concept these days. Forgive it, I brought it up on Pinterest. But in, in my paradigm, we talk about how there's levels to validation. And a lot of times people will try to 
skip to this last level, which is radical genuineness or considering people as people and human and like really valuing their perspectives without doing the other levels. And so it's really impossible to validate on these layers down here if you're not interested in what the person has to say, if you're not accurately reflecting what their issues are. And then if you're not, then looking inside and saying, if I were this person and I were experiencing what they were experiencing, what places would that resonate in my body? And then can I understand why they would react the way that they would? So even like going through this process of thinking about boot, I'm like, shoot, because I you heard me doing some level three where I'm like, well, shoot, I would like have some questions too if I had to walk somewhere and this prophet man was going down and he was asking, I mean, not to mention they were on this concert consecration business and so like joseph asking everybody to give their property and so you know what you will have questions about that you want to know before you put a commitment in that's me guessing the feeling based on what i am feeling when i'm hearing it and then i can understand from his perspective like shoot, they were on farm they didn't have a lot he had come from this other religious background there was probably a lot on the line so all of these things we need to do to validate people. And this is what helps us to be able to um, like speak to people who are different than us or um, we feel like they have a different perspective. I like that uh, Emily brought in this, uh, what it's like to bring up uncomfortable topics and have you feel like you're the bad guy. There's not enough of this middle level validation going on, or maybe even this first level of being present and interested in what people have to say, especially when uh, your emotions get into it of the like, it's like some of these topics, like understandably bring up like your own stuff, your own trauma. And so it might bring up this sense of defensiveness, but to connect to people have to be able to understand what they're about. In the section, the Lord tells them, look, you go to the public places and the private places and talk to them. And what I understand Joseph is saying he did was like, just write a paper or a letter in the paper, be like, hey, come debate us. We're ready. And then the writer man was like, um, we live like two houses down from each other. Just come and talk to me. And Signe Rigdon was like, oh, what? Who's this new phone? And did not go and talk to him in private or we have no record of this. But instead, they just had their like public meeting without them and stood on their high horse about how they were so great about like sharing the gospel. And these guys didn't come. So they only got like half of what the Lord told them to do, just like this girl in the video that is not heard around the world, only got half of what her bishop was telling her in her efforts to get this fairness for all stuff intact. And so I think that this is all of us at some point in time. I struggle because as you have heard, I have all kinds of shade about this like religious freedom idea and how it's kind of permeated through church history. Oh, wait, I'm gonna tell y'all a story, like brief metaphor. So I, I don't, I know that people are logging in from all over, but like in Salt Lake, we have the worst airport known to man. I don't know if anybody has been to this new airport, but it's awful. You got to walk literally a mile and a half from the term. Just don't fly American because you will be walking two miles. And this is not a joke. And then you got your bags. They're spread out like, oh, it's just so much. The other night I went and it was a Wednesday. And I guess this is when missionaries go off, come home. I don't know. And the cars were parked all the way back from the hazard lane. I live in Rose Park. 
I drive a North Temple to get to the airport. So I don't even like really exit off, but I'm going pretty fast. And so like right when I took the turn for the temple, there's like cars there. And I was so mad because I like almost hit them. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is so dumb. The airport is dumb. And granted, the airport is dumb for a lot of people, the disabled, the elderly, all kinds of reasons, like no shade why this airport doesn't work for a vast majority of people. But last week I came home uh, from New York, love it. And uh, then uh, I came out of the security and maybe I was feeling good because I had no stuff. And of course it's a Wednesday and some missionaries are coming home. And I saw that like the airport was perfect for these people because there were like several families that were waiting with like signs and stuff. And they all had room to wait for their missionaries without blocking what I needed to do, which made me super happy. In the old airport, there was not room for that. You would come down the way and it would just be super awkward. And I I don't know if people remember this. And so then I had some compassion where I was like, okay, if, if this were one of the value priorities that arose when they were building the new airport, then they were successful in that regard. And I can't really blame them. I can blame them for this other stuff that's happening. But for this, I'm like, it's, it's awesome. Like it works for what they're after. And so there's a lot of things going back to like religious freedom and whatever. There's a lot of things that I like, I don't understand and I don't get, they don't resonate with me. They're not consistent with my values or what I brings me to the gospel, but they have value to someone. And so then I try to like have that balance of still advocating for what makes sense and is important to me and kind of honoring what people like they have other things that they're concerned about bless Oates and his like legalistic thinking. I don't have a brain like that. So like, maybe I just can't think like him. I I don't know. I'm trying to give some benefits of the doubt to some of this stuff, but I'm still going to have my perspective. Anyways, uh, I don't know if people have any like lingering thoughts on this. The chat is going. I like the chat. There's a there's a comment I I think fits in a that is is there some sort of short term benefit for early members in the majority by demonizing the minority? Um, it's it is a lot of what you're talking about, Kimberly, and I I think this is your training, and I don't want to get too personal here, but like that whole list of of, uh, empathy and genuineness um, is a focus on an individual, on individual values. And this, uh, the the comment about, if you think about value for the majority as a group, that may actually mean putting down a minority, which is, contrary to what we think about if we're pick, if we're focusing on individuals one at a time. Mm-hmm. My husband and I were talking about this at a certain time while I was preparing for this lesson that was earlier than today, but where we were kind of talking about, um, because another thing that has happened this week to kind of move into 76 is for some reason, this hullabaloo about the church removing this, becoming God from the website. And it's like, are we no longer teaching this? And then people are bringing up a newsroom article from 2012 when we were still on like Book of Mormon musical damage control. Just I, anyway, talking about like, oh, this is so crazy. Church is like changing stuff. They're like 
gaslighting us or whatever. And it does feel strange to me, sure, what's happening. But then a lot of it kind of relates to like when we have ideas uh, and they don't work, we kind of like quietly remove them just like the way this video was quietly removed or like the, when the book of Mormon come follow me had that line in it that made it seem like we were still upholding skin curses and the church just kind of quietly said, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And then they don't do more to take a stand. Then it kind of leaves it to like whatever the majority is going to do with that information. And so my husband was talking about how a lot of times that makes the church seem less forward thinking than they are because they'll do stuff. They'll allow people to have the agency to do with it what they're going to do. But then many times people just throw up their hands and be like, oh, well, I'm either going to think how I think about it still, or I'm not going to do anything particularly meaningful with this information, or I'm just going to like sue on it and, and get you know, worked up in a different way, but it, it, the effect of it is that it doesn't like meaningfully permeate in like shifting value systems the way that I think people hope it would. Um, and, you know, I wish that that weren't the case, but I mean, it happens sometimes. I want to get to the last, oh my gosh, I know that I'm going to be over. This is my life. I want to get to 76. Okay. I have never put this together before um, in quite in this sequence, but um, we have, you know, like I said, the thing that stood out to me is God wants to save all the works of his hands in 76. We have this beautiful vision of like how expansive heaven can be. And did y'all read the shade that the saints have when Joseph released this thing? Some people loved it. They started to call it the vision. Maybe this was before the first vision was branded as it is, but they were calling this the vision. And they were like, oh, it's so peaceful. It's beautiful. It appealed to people's value systems of universalism or believing that most people could be saved. And then there were some people that were just like, why are we doing this universalist stuff? Like, I thought that we were supposed to be different, which is like a different value system that probably guided like the people of the church back then too. And so these guys were kind of duking it out, but then in the like extreme of duking it out, you know, there's a little thing, uh, you know, where Joseph Smith got like snatched out of his house and tarred and feathered. And then Joseph Smith shows up the next day to give a sermon and he sees some people from the congregation that he knows we're in the party of people that tarred and feathered him. In other words, Joseph had this revelation that was so different from what people were used to. They rebelled and they, they hurt him. They did some extreme stuff. Now we aren't about this like cowboy justice these days, but I think that there's a lot of ways that we will do similar things when we get revelation that we don't understand or when other people share perspectives that they've gotten from their personal revelation and we're trying to make it fit into how we understand things and when it doesn't we like you know have these strong disgust repellent urges and so I just like what 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 do people even think of this like 
were, were y'all surprised to learn this or put it in context or like, just what do y'all think? Cause this was wild to me. I'm, I'm really struck in thinking about how this fits with the other things you've been talking about and how um, kind of different value systems. And then we're confronted with, you know, something that, that maybe pushes us in a new direction and we hunker down and, and demonize and worry. And we have this uh, response um, rather than um, kind of taking it in and giving space for those values um, to, to understand them. Yeah. I think like for me, when this happens in the present day, I feel like I'll have like a personal value. Like I have my value set that like aligns with the church and, and things I want. And then I've got like, like my Kimberly values. And so then sometimes my Kimberly values will come out above what like these aligned values. And sometimes this is appropriate, like in the work that I do, when this happens, we'll say that there is some need that your self-respect urge has arisen uh, to like, I don't know, have a conversation, do some problem solving or whatever. And so it's not like we totally have to throw this out, but then there's also just like a tolerance that this could occur that has been helpful to me as I go on my faith journey where it's just like, I could easily let like, a a personal value priority get in the way of like where my real priorities are, where like my top five are, if I let another value come up ahead and, and like put it in the driver's seat for maybe longer than it needs to be. And this is not to say, like, I feel like this is an easy place to point fingers and say, like, these are the values that like get in the way or like, those are the values that get in the way of what we're trying to do. But like, if God wants to save all the works of his hands, and this was something that, you know, even when Joseph Smith started the church, like maybe the saints didn't have quite the vision of it, like when it was starting out. I mean, this was like very new and they wanted it to stick around. But I think the question that they weren't asking is stick around for what? Like, why do we want to build this thing? What is the goal of what we're trying to do? We're trying to create a Zion-like society. Why? Is it so that everybody can like pull their stuff together and we all have like happy times on the farm? Or are we after something bigger here? And I think that that is the thing that can get lost in this. And so I always try to bring it back to, Like, what are we doing this for? Even with the like becoming like God hullabaloo that happened where people were like, oh, is the church changing the thing? For some people, it is important that the church stay consistent, that the church stay a stalwart. These are things that have been asked of us to do. And so I get that people want this. And, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, but like, what y'all want a mansion for? My husband is a bishop now. Bishop is the worst calling ever for everyone. And it is mostly like when people, when he got called to be bishop, people were like, whoa, he's got all this power now. All I know is that he's gone for like multiple hours of the day and he wakes up at like three in the morning so he could go to the gym and like do all his bishop stuff that he has to do before he does his job stuff. And then like his life is so regimented. It is deeply unpleasant. But we are building the kingdom and we are building the kingdom. And so it, it feels like if this is a reward 
I just like, there has been more than once that I'm like, man, can I have a different reward? Like, is there just something else that could happen instead of this? And so then when we think about like becoming like God, what is that like? God has power, sure. And that can be appealing to people and that's okay. But God wants to save all the works of his hands. How much does God have to work on you to get you to do something? And imagine having to do that for 11 billion people that have come and will come. This sounds like work to me. So becoming like God kind of sounds like preparing to have power, but preparing to work and build this society of connection and unity that we want to see. And so it's more than about like having mansions and things that we rule over, which sounds nice from an earthly sense, but like also not totally what God and Jesus are after when they're talking about building the kingdom. And this is how uh, like we have people on the margins, like what Allison is saying, where we will easily like leave people out of our narrative of what the church should be because we have this sense of like what it should be. We, one of the things that it says in the, I forget what section it was in response to critics was prepare for the, the commandments, which are to come as a way to respond to detractors. And so it's saying preach the mysteries of the gospel will also be prepared for what's happening. Also be ready to expand your mind so that you can receive the fullness of what God has to offer you. And it might not be anything like what you think it's supposed to look like, but be open to that. And then let that build where we're going here. And so this, the, what the people were doing in 76 just so fascinating and it is so easy to to see the ways that we perpetuate this regardless of like what side of the the aisle we're on we're like losing the vision of zion to get what we want on a short-term basis or what we think organizationally is best like for the church or whomever so anyways i don't know if anybody had thoughts i'm off my soapbox now (laughs) So I'm really, I love the kind of turning the focus away from the actual revelation to how people are responding. Um, And it feels so important and contemporary uh, as we are, you know, struggling with um, the uh, different values of the church and trying to, um, to understand and to become one uh, and figure out what that, means as we move forward together. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a number of comments that are, on the one hand, I have felt excluded. I see this happening in our community uh, because I'm different or because I don't agree with everything. And that's painful. Uh, but other comments saying this is what organizations do, this this section 76 is calling us to be better, but this is what people do is, is um, people or organizations, I, I, this comment from David Sandberg, uh, it seems to me section 76 is implying that, that the kingdoms that we minister by getting the other, understanding the other, while also tolerating that they will not get us, that they, they won't be agreeing that, that that's not a, I'm adding to him, but that that's not a condition that you agree with us for us to be including. Um, That's hard. And a number of other comments saying, 
that's not the way people work. I mean, we, this is, uh, when there is stress, when things are hard, um, comment here, uh, or groups of people double down on boundaries and gatekeeping. That's very common and usually dangerous to both the in and the out group. And, uh, oh, okay, I, you can put all that together, but it's a, it's a calling us to do something that's not, doesn't come naturally, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, cause I think that I, how long am I supposed to go? I'm done, right? You, uh, we have, we, I guess I should have, I should have said something, right? It's at, at 11 o'clock mountain time. Um, we understand that people will have to leave. Um, one of our, one of our participants had a, it was 2 a.m. because we're including people from all over the world. So, um, yes, maybe we should, maybe you should, Kimberly, why don't, because of the time, why don't you do a wrap-up comment? And so we can, so we can say to everybody, that's the formal lesson and, uh, and include music. And I, I hope we can continue some conversation, but. I, you know, so this will be a vomit thought to some. So what, is so one of the the good things that um i feel like the lesson asks us to do this week is like to look at this 76 and say where do we see christ in that and instead of thinking about becoming like god look at what god is doing to help you be like him which i love because it feels like a a kind of a, a higher way to think about it and it is so fascinating to me that like in the midst of this vision that they had, then we get this verse 22 and it almost feels like it's out of nowhere where it's like, and now after many testimonies, which have been given of him, this is testimony last of all, which we give of him that we lives for we saw him even on the right hand of God. We heard the voice bearing record that he's the only begotten of the father that by him and through him and of him, the worlds are and were created and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters unto God somehow above all this about kingdoms and, and stratifications and whatever they saw Jesus. And so that's where like, I want to strive to go. Like, as I'm fixing my values, I want to be changed so I can focus on Jesus and, and see what Jesus is about and what, how this fits in with Jesus vision of where we uh, should be. Oh gosh. The last thought that I want y'all to think about is um so in this section there's this bit about uh shaking the dust off or in one of these things and uh i'm putting in the chat something that i hope everybody reads that i did not ask permission to share but it's on the internet so blanket permission uh so often there can be a tendency to look at critics it's critics but how often is it that we're really looking at people who are shaking the dust off of ways that we have failed to live up to our covenants and mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need. So for people who are familiar shaking off the dust ritual, it was kind of enlivened by the Mormons uh, when people were not welcoming to them. And sometimes I was reading about this. Sometimes the people were jerks. Like they went to a restaurant, wanted free food. Person didn't give free food. Okay. We're shaking off the dust. Like we're going to leave it behind. We're, we're leaving this as a curse. 
this that I've linked is a, an article from Nathan Kitchen, the president of Affirmation, and it talks about his experiences uh, when he removed his name from the church records. And it's just a beautiful accounting of the, the nuance that happens in this and, and thinking about our call to be one people to, to have togetherness. Can we like tap into our better selves and not be these people that are going to have a testimony that stands against us uh, at the end so we can uh, get our mansions or whatever it is we're about. So I leave that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I, I know the piece, Kimberly. I'm glad you can call it beautiful. It's, it, I found it rather painful. It's um, all the things. That's the dialectic. It, it was, it was, yes. I said, when I posted, I said, I'm not worthy of this. And that's really all I'll say. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we are going to close, um, close our formal meeting um, with the song Together by the Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir. Um, this is a new um, cover video, but you're seeing it before I, not quite before anybody else because it's still in production, but it's not quite official yet. But this is the this is the early version of, of uh, uh, a beautiful piece, um, and I uh, you know I I got a preview, so I'm excited about that. Thank you. And then uh, and then uh, Melody Jackson, who's with us, will offer a closing prayer. Um, Melody is a BYU graduate and currently a doctoral student in the American Studies PhD program at the University of Maryland. Um, she is the uh, founder or, or creator of the Black Lives Matter to Christ Facebook page and hosts devotionals for black members of the church to share their experiences of racism and the comfort they find in Jesus Christ. And she's been published a number of times in dialogue, articles, poetry, um, essays. Um, we're glad to have Melody with us. Thank you. Um, and now to music. Um, uh, let's see. Michael, can you play it? Or yes. Which one? Uh, um, the Vimeo link, the together one. Did you send it to me earlier or is this yeah, um, they're all the same. I have it though. Should I just do it? Actually, don't. You have it? Yeah, I do. I'll do it. Okay, go ahead. This is for the busted heart This is for the question marks This is for the outcast soul Lost control, no one knows Sing it for the can't go back Sing it for the broken past Sing it for the just found out Life is now upside down yeah. If you're looking for hope tonight, raise your hand Through this hand.
second chance This is for the new romance Singing for the love in vain Overcame, it's not too late If you're looking for hope tonight, raise your hand, hand. If you're feeling alone and don't understand and If you're fighting in the fight of your life, then stand and We're gonna make it through this hand in hand Melody, you're muted. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Dear Heavenly Parents, we thank you for this day. We are grateful that we had this opportunity to come together um, to learn more about the Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, and about Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are grateful for the scriptures and for the light and direction that they give us for the moments of reflection that they require of us to be better um, in order to build a kingdom that is um, inviting and accepting unto all. We're grateful for um, Kimberly's lesson today and the preparation that she put in and helping us to um, think more deeply and complexly about people, about that kingdom, about this church about the gospel and um, pray that we continue to have the spirit to be with us to remember that people and institutions are complex um, and that we all deserve to be validated and that we all deserve to be 
seen through Christ, seen in this church, seen through the gospel. We ask that we may take the time to um, listen to those who may seem oppositional to our values and seek to understand them um, and work together to um, truly be one. We are grateful for the atonement of our Savior Jesus Christ and the power of, of Jesus Christ to help us to grow and change and be better. And we ask that we seek out those who may feel outcasts, who may feel like the boosts of the world and um, truly talk to them in private and in public to build that kingdom. We love thee and we ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Find more of our podcasts at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts.